Hello, podcasters. Teresa McBean here. I'm co-pastor at North Star Community, and I am here with... Scott McBean. I am the associate pastor here at North Star Community. You were doing better with that introduction, and now you've slipped back into relapse mode. (laughs) (laughs) Teresa likes to say co-pastor. I like to say associate pastor. But we haven't really figured out what to call if I'm the associate, which I'm totally fine with, and that is what I was hired to be. I mean, that's on my... You know, if we could even find the paperwork, yeah, that's what would be on there. But what are you? Senior pastor always sounds weird to me. Well, that's why I like co-pastor, because at eight, eight years in, you are a co-pastor now. And eight years if in, if we but couldn't even find the paperwork, why would it matter what was on it? Eight years in, but still twelve years behind. Yeah. There well, you go. I I don't know. I like you know giving you some. Uh, Giving you the affirmation for all of your wisdom and experience seems important to me, but senior just sounds weird. It just reminds me of like high school, like being a high school senior, yeah. you know? I don't know. And it also sounds old. I know. Head pastor sounds weird as well. I, I've got the perfect thing. Lead pastor is what a lot of people do. Queen. <laughs> queen pastor? I'm the queen. <laughs> oh, just queen. No pastor yeah. after it. Well, I mean, you know... If one name was okay for Prince, why can't I just be Queen? <laughs> okay, I now have to tell a story on myself because okay. I asked you before I clicked the record button if your phone was off, and you said it's in my office, so it doesn't matter if it's off or not. My phone just went off. Yeah, I know. Fortunately, I'm hearing impaired, so you, you'd have to tell me that for me to be able to know it. Yep, so everybody just heard a phone ding. Uh, maybe. So any wait, so did we settle that? Are you just queen? Yeah, I think I'm just gonna be queen. Teresa, queen, North Star mm-hmm. community. Yeah. That is fun. Okay. So I believe we're talking about your last message and people seemed to care when it was given. So that was May what? Like eleventh, twelfth? Something like that, May 11th and 12th. And so uh, you used one of our favorite books in the Bible, uh, the book of Jonah, uh, which if I overuse Romans 1, you might have the most uses of the book of Jonah of any pastor, senior, junior, associate, or otherwise in the history of pastors preaching. It's possible. In fairness to me, I go, I track my usage. That is so, such a Enneagram 5 thing to do. We could uh, we could look it up. I looked it up before. I make sure it's at least a year. Do you track my usage? No. Other Good. than like I have a sensibility about it. Uh-huh. Like I have kind of a mental, like uh-huh. my, my... Like don't my, use Galatians 6 for three more months. Or... My radar goes up, yeah. you know, when, it, when there's one that's been used within the last... Uh, but I also... What I perceive as being recent often isn't. Because um, that's true. Steve mm-hmm. Wilson says he has a six month rule. He doesn't do songs for six months, like at a time, or like it, he has to go at least six months between using them. Hmm. So there, there have been times where I'm like, we just played that song. Because right. I'm always curious, like, if you say you have a rule, are you sticking to the rule? Right. You know right, what I mean? Right. Right. And it doesn't matter to me one way or the other whether he is or not. But I always find it interesting. Now we have this program that we use to to do the the songs with, so I can actually go back and check. And part of it, 
part of my checking is about feeling like time is passing too quickly. It's mm-hmm. not about it's not about judging Steve and right, his right, choices because right. he makes great choices and we trust him implicitly. Uh, but I'm always like, can it possibly have been six months? And I go back and every time it it's is. six months. Every time it's been. So when I think you've used a verse too, mu- too much, I would be willing to hazard a guess that it's always at least six months, if not more, which. I, I mean, try to, but I got to tell you, I don't keep track of it. I mean, I just have an internal running clock. Yeah. And I don't, you know, it's not like I set up a system to keep track. I just keep all of my notes in the same program. I have a writing program that I keep them all in that's searchable. So I just search Jonah and see when the, and I I, sh- I, I, I order that. them I order them by date. Interesting. I so, should do that. Yeah, I have some ideas for you. Okay. Well, none of this is necessary for this particular podcast. Um so uh No, but who doesn't like a peek behind the curtain of a incredibly boring job? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I remember, while we're all completely off topic, yeah, I remember... Who doesn't want to know how the sausage gets made? I remember Jim Pardue, which, gosh, was the best preacher I ever sat under. Um, and uh, he always told really great stories. And I can remember somebody asking him once if his stories were true. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe he didn't answer that question. But his somebody was asking for a peek behind the curtain, and he wouldn't give it to him, basically. Which is a kind of answer yeah, in and of yeah. itself. Yeah, but we're kind of open books about our process. So yeah. There's that. Nothing to hide. So anyway, back to Jonah. Yep. Uh, I loved your scripture passage, but I also loved that you added another word onto the five words that I had talked about the previous week, which were, as I had said, not exhaustive, but um, so I'm glad you added one. But we were talking well, about... Well, let's hang on. Let's, let's, if somebody hasn't heard the, the one before, they won't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm getting so. ready to tell them. Uh, okay. I jumped the gun there. You did. So um, <laughs> maybe we should give you the title of assistant pastor to the queen. Um, but um, the basically, they were five things that um, I suggested the previous week. If you have a lot of this going on in your life, it's probably going to be very difficult for you to do hard things. Yep. And I had been having that theme about, you know, how do you do hard things? And the next time I teach, I'm going to talk about the characteristics of somebody who has the capacity to do hard things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had five of them, which, by the way, both Saturday and Sunday, people named them, which is the first time in history at North Star Community that people have actually been able to recall what I talked about the previous week. So I was pretty impressed with them. Yeah, that was that was impressive. I'm not even sure I can do it. So it was uh, blaming others. Yep. Um overgeneralizing, so drawing conclusions from, broad brush conclusions from something really small. Yep. Uh, distractibility, distracting yourself and not paying attention in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, confusion. Confusion, uh, which I think is really a symptom of something else. But yeah, just feeling confused all the time. You're probably less confused than you're willing to admit to. And instant gratification. 
Oh, yeah. And everybody just moaned at that one. But this need for instant gratification and not being able to pause to prepare, kind of being more reactionary than uh, responsive to situations. And then you came up with a sixth one, which I really loved, disengagement. Yeah. <clears throat> sort of backed into that. Um, not that it matters how we got there, but what I've been thinking about a lot. Um, and you know, it's funny, like I didn't actually think of the example that I used in, in my opinion was kind of perfect for the message, but, and I, I, the reason I say that that way is I didn't plan it. Um, I mean, it kind of came into, it's not like something I've been thinking about a lot. It's a story about myself and my own relationships and my own failures to be who I want to be in the world. And so one would think that I've been reflecting on that for a long time and feeling guilty about it. I have not. It, it came to me as a result of trying to think, you know, trying trying to process the message before I delivered it on Saturday. Interesting. And um, yeah, so the story is ultimately one about me and my own disengagement from uh, a, an important friendship in my life. But before we get there, um, you know, the setup for talking about disengagement is was thinking through the ways in which people have preemptively rejected me in my life based on the factors that make us different from one another. Oh, yeah. So that could be age. Mm -hmm. You know, there have been people who have um, not uh, been willing to use me as a resource because they thought you were too young. Because I was too young, which is their prerogative. Like right. I was very clear about that in both messages. This is right. your prerogative. Right. Um, some who wouldn't want to use me as a resource because I haven't had my own substance use disorder. Right. Um, neither have you, for that matter. No, but I have had. I have had a. You know, I, I consider my eating disorder uh, at an earlier age a function of compulsivity and I had to use, you know. Absolutely. But in a world where NA groups may not want an oh, exactly. AA person in the room, you're talking about a difference, even yeah. though, I mean, we, you know, we, we all have recovery issues. Right. Um, you know, I have had my own struggles with depression and social anxiety and things like that. It's all in the neighborhood. Right. Uh, and that's the, that's the exact point, right? Is like to even say, I to even draw that distinction between us of you saying, well, I've had an eating disorder. Right. You know, it, it's a way of saying I'm different than you. Yes. And the question is, the question that I was sort of trying to pose to the group is, how important are, are we going to allow our differences to be? Yeah, I thought that was a really great question to say, you know, are you going to allow the differences you have with other people to to define your relationships with them? And, you know, it's a hugely on-topic question in a divisive world today. Yeah, and I, I think I want to be clear, you know, differences are important. and But the kind of thing that, um, you know, because our, our differences when brought together can, can be our strengths and one person's strengths can compensate for another's weakness and vice versa. There's all kinds of things you could say about that, the benefits. 
But one of the things that we do so often is, you're different than me, therefore you can't understand me, therefore I'm not, you don't have a place in my life, or I'm not going to pay attention to you, or you're worthless. Right. And so you were really, for this particular message, and I can totally see why Jonah, why you'd pick Jonah, um, you were in this particular message really wanting to hone in on the, you were you were really going micro in terms of your message and talking about how uh, we often use our differences to give us permission to disengage from other people. Right. And the, the question is, um, you know, differences are great and they can be celebrated, but when they're things that we use to give ourselves permission to do that disengaging. Um, is that a good thing? Is that how we want to live? You know, there's all kinds of questions. Right. You know, do I want to be the type of person who writes somebody off just because there is a difference? Right. And the reason I think that's an important question to wrestle with, and I, my perspective could be totally wrong about this, but I mean, I don't want to assume that there's nothing that we hold in common by virtue of being human, right? And part right. of that is a, that's a, that's a theological concern, it's a philosophical concern, but it's also a very practical relational concern because, you know, the people in my life that I've ultimately been closest to are the people that I would say were the most different from me. Yeah. And, I mean, I, you know, you could take it to Genesis. I mean, we don't know uh, what kind of people uh, Adam and Eve were, right? right. I mean, and, 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 but they were made, they were symbols of all of what humanity would be, and God saw that they were good. And so is, is there not something basic? Very good, he yeah. said. Is there not something uh, fundamental about who we are as humans that we share in common? Um that is both very good and at times very problematic, right? I mean, like there's lots of things that you could say, but I want to live assuming that the next person, whoever that person is, is not a person so different from myself. Because yeah, I think that's the right. source of so much conflict. If you just assume that the next person in line is not a person like in the same way that you are, it's just, to me, that, that is a slippery slope. So if you read a lot of Brene Brown, she talks about that being the first the first step to de dehumanizing others mm -hmm. and that that leads to a lot of atrocities. Yeah. The other thing that I thought about when you were doing the message, which uh, I refrained from speaking because I knew it would be chasing a rabbit, but it was a rabbit that I found very attractive. Is do, do you <laughs> Those know? Those are the kinds that we chase. I know. Do you know the original meaning of the word virtue? Um, no. I'm trying to think if I've heard this before. I do know it. Okay. Yeah. Let's hear it. As the queen, I know this. This is, this is uh, like as in like going back to the Greek, like Aristotle virtue. Yeah. Or, the, yeah. The original or virtue. Original English. Well, the, the, the root of virtue. Okay. Um, so whatever language it showed up in first, I thought you would think this is really interesting. Okay. Uh, because 
So let me tell you why I thought you might like this as an interesting no, Nobody topic. Google this. Just take it. Just take what she's about to say for what it is. We I'm don't, telling you. I yep, got it off of you Google. You got it. Okay. You got so, it off of Google. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. Yeah. I think your message was at its core. What I heard you express at your feelings level is I want to be a virtuous man. And in this area... I do not believe I have behaved virtuously. Yep. Okay. And that is a value-laden word until you understand what the original word is. Because then all sorts of people argue, right, uh, about what virtue means. Okay. And it's another way to separate ourselves and dehumanize ourselves by disagreeing on what's virtuous, right? Okay. But the original meaning of the word virtue was human. Definitely Googling that later. You can. Human. <laughs> so tell me tell me what that what are you saying? So what I'm saying is is that I was really glad to find it in my uh, dive definition dive for the word virtue. You're gonna find it. So stop <laughs> looking so smug. I'm the queen. And you're the I'm sorry Googling. people. I'm Googling on my phone right now. Um but um this idea that God said we were very good and that virtue in his essence is humanity at its best. And I think you've got some books sitting around here written by smart people who say the same thing. And that this capacity for humanity to be fully human as God created humanity to be is a really beautiful thing. Mm. Did you find it? Um, well, we can talk about it later. So anyway. The root, the, the Latin root appears to be the word for man or human, um, but it's not the full word itself. But I, I think I see where you're getting. Um, at first, virtue meant manliness or valor, but over time it settled in the sense of moral excellence. Right. But, but man, manliness, but I think, I'm being I'm the a, person who took six years of Latin. <laughs> man, manliness would be not like masculinity in that context. It would be more like humanity, I think, like what you were saying. So I think there's, I know. I think there's room there. <laughs> so anyway, this idea of, you know, the thing I love about all of that is that Believing that we have the capacity to be virtuous means that when we see ourselves living in a way that we would say is not virtuous, two prongs. One, you, you're not going to have to stay that way. Um, and two, you don't have to be that person. Right. So I, I think that really— Which both of those are acts of hope. Yeah. Just total the hope thing. Like, you were created to be virtuous. And, um, you know, I think that um, to the extent that I have ever experienced any kind of personal growth, it's because someone helped me believe that I could. Yep. And uh, so anyway, that was important to me from your message. But also I loved what you did about Jonah. So... Yeah, so we had this, um, I guess the uh, the order of things was 
something like um, as good and helpful as differences can be, they can be excuses for disengagement as well. And that disengagement is sort of one of the, uh, what should we call it? You know, like you said, we were, I was trying to add it to the list of things that can prevent us from doing hard things. Yeah, barriers. You know, if, we, if we disengage... Barriers then, to our virtue. Yeah. It's, if we disengage, it's not necessarily that we're less able to do hard things so much as less hard things are going to be required of us because we will be isolated. Right. Right? And so it's a shortcut um, to a quote-unquote easier life, but not easy in a good way. Well, it's, it is easier, but it, I think it's less satisfying. Right. Yes. Um, so you had a particular example and I know you won't yeah. go into much detail, but you did have a, you did, I think for the podcast, you can give us a general idea of what came to you about yourself that you realized was an area where you needed to explore further. Um, yeah, we can do that first. I was going to read the Jonah passage. Um, well, I guess the long story short is, you know, I had a, a friend who made a you know, a very specific kind of racially insensitive comment to me about a week before we met, ended up meeting our, our daughter, Nora, my wife and I, Brittany, we adopted um, our daughter, Nora, and um, our agency had told us, based on factors, that there was a pretty good chance that Nora was going to be a minority. Um, we had gotten to choose whether or not we were open to that, and so we took a class on it, and we talked to uh, friends about we went through our whole process right and it was a very very difficult decision because um, we were concerned about whether or not we were going to be able to provide you know a black child with a, um, a meaningful life that appropriately honored that experience right but ultimately we decided to say that we were open to that um, and we decided to do the best we can and to try to rely on our friends for help and all that, right? Right. So, all that to say, I about a week before we met Nora, I had a friend who, who made a, a very um, specific kind of racially insensitive comment that stuck with me because I knew that um, there was a chance I was going to have a, a black child, and I ended up having a black, I have a black daughter. Um, well, you say black daughter, but I say black granddaughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's wonderful, and she's perfect, and um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, I miss her. <laughs> I was, you know, going on about uh, four hours since I left the house, and I already miss her, and um, so that comment stuck with me, you know, and um, I haven't seen this person since we met Nora. And um, it's unfortunate. Um, there's been no great conscious effort on my part to disengage. But I think, and this is kind of how I described it to the group on Sundays, like, you know, there's maybe different types of disengagements. There's the type where you have a big conflict, you know you have a big conflict, and you fight, and you know you're mad at, you, mad at each other, and that relationship is just broken sort of instantaneously. And then you have the kind of slow burn 
disengagement, which mm-hmm. is just sort of like a drifting, a, a gradual drifting apart that's mm-hmm. barely perceptible until one day you wake up and realize you don't have that person in your life anymore. And I woke up and I realized, I guess on Saturday, that I didn't really have that person in my life anymore. Even though we, we've texted and talked a few times and made plans that didn't come to fruition and whatnot. And that it wasn't, you know, as I was doing this message, it became clear to me that it wasn't his fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say more about that after I read this passage from Jonah. Jonah, The story of Jonah is one of my favorite stories. It's not my favorite story because somebody gets swallowed by a giant fish. I don't particularly care about that part necessarily, other than to say that I find it interesting that So many people talk about they want meaning for their lives and they want to know and do God's will. And here we have this prophet who didn't care about any of that. He didn't care about having a meaningful life necessarily. He didn't care about doing God's will. In fact, God comes to him and gives him a particular job to do. And to which Jonah is like, I'm not interested in that job. And that job is to go and tell the people of Nineveh about God's mercy. That... They are not currently living in accordance with God's way of seeing, but if they decide to commit themselves to that way of seeing, then he will show them mercy. And Jonah doesn't want to do that because he doesn't want them to receive mercy. Right. He does not like the Ninevites for whatever reason. Right. So he's um, tries to go the other way, gets swallowed by the fish, ends up in Nineveh, reluctantly tells delivers God's message, and the people of Nineveh are like, there's a God that wants to show us mercy. That sounds wonderful. We will absolutely commit ourselves to that God's way of seeing. And this is much to Jonah's chagrin. And so we, we sort of, we're picking up at the end of that here. This is 310 and following. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But this was very displeasing to Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish in the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So I find it so fascinating that most of the prophets in the Bible, they... Life ends poorly, and very few are ever respected, right? Yeah. Jonah succeeded. Yep. And he's having a real hissy fit. Yeah, he's he's got the hissy fit to end all hissy fits. Now, the story of, of Jonah, to me, is uh, endearing and enduring for a variety of reasons, but one of the ones that's so hard, it I see it, in my mind, it is almost like one of the parables that Jesus tells to the Pharisees. Okay. Not, not a particular one, but it's like Jesus' style of teaching. Right. And the way that we tend to respond to those passages. Right. So we always tend to respond to those passages where Jesus is subtly hating on the Pharisees by thinking of the people that we know that are like the Pharisees. Right. And not thinking about the way in which we are like the Pharisees. Right. And with Jonah, you have a similar dynamic. Now, some people don't read the end of Jonah. 
they just read the beginning and treat him like a hero, and he did what God said. Now, he got off to a rough start, but ultimately he did the right thing. That's how right. most, that's how children hear the story of Jonah. Right. Ultimately, he did the right thing, which isn't quite true. Um, but if you do read the whole story, it's very common for people to just scratch their heads and say, what's his problem? Rather than to think about the fact that this story is ultimately about how does mercy, how does God distribute mercy? Yeah. And God's desire is to distribute it to whoever. Right. You know, in short. And um, we don't do ourselves any favors if we read these stories and think, oh, man, I know this person who's not great at showing mercy. They should show more mercy so they're not like Jonah. I mean, to me, there's not much more irritating than responding to a story that way because it just makes yourself seem good in comparison to another person who you decided is below you. Right. Now, what I realize in planning to deliver this message a few days ago is I am the person who's done that in my life, practically speaking. My disengagement is on me. Right. I have chosen not to show mercy. And because I've chosen not to show mercy, and, and I'm being condescending and even talking about it as a mercy issue, right. because that's my way of saying that I'm right about this and therefore I should extend mercy. I mean, I... What I should say is this is another person, just as I'm a person, and something happened that has troubled me, and we should work to resolution. And because I know this person, and I know they care for me, I know they would love to do that and would easily own their stuff, and it wouldn't be a problem at all. But I haven't had the courage to do my part, and therefore I have been like Jonah. Right a person who desires not for God to distribute mercy to certain places. And that's the belief that is the product of me being unwilling to distribute it myself. Right. So these are all the, I know that's kind of a long ramble about it, but that's my way of saying I find myself confronted by my own words. And here we are. Yeah. And so this dis so that I mean to draw it back to the disengagement piece, I mean I disengaged because of my lack of desire to show mercy. Right. Right. And so what I closed by Or receive mercy. Right. Cuz when you're not going to engage in showing mercy, you are cutting yourself off from receiving it too. That's yeah, and that's part of what we talked about on the weekend is like everybody loses. Yeah. You know, with disengagement everyone loses because yep. I lose a person who has the capacity to show to me God's love and he loses a person who has the capacity to show to him God's love. Right. And when we don't have that then to bring it full circle, we lack the capacity to do hard things because we don't have the support that we need. Right. You know, we don't have the relationships that we need. We don't have the accountability that we need. We don't have the opportunity to receive what we need. We lose the joy in giving what someone else needs. Yeah. And I think one of, you know, one of the lines that I closed with was something to the effect of, um, 
disengagement means fewer hard things are going to be asked of us. Right. But that for faithful people, our goal is not to do less hard things. It's to respond to the hard things we're confronted with, with dignity, grace, and courage. Yeah, that was a great line closer, by the way. <laughs> we're not, our job is not to find a way to, to do fewer hard things, but to respond to the hard things that are thrown our way with dignity, grace, and courage. And um, I think about that again in, in light of my daughter and what her life is going to be like. I mean, knowing the circumstances around her birth and her arrival into our family are going to cause a lot of problems for her. And I want to be able to raise a child who can respond to those things with dignity, grace, and courage. And that means I'm going to have to be a person who's willing to respond to things in my own life with dignity, grace, and courage rather than with disengagement. Right, because how else are you going to be able to, so as a, as a mother um, of, of grown-up people, <laughs> um, in an age where we have people, uh, we live in a world where some people have accused parents of helicopter parenting or you know, blocking and tackling to keep hard things out of the path of their children, right? Yep. Um, I would say that it is almost impossible to allow your children to have the experience of living with suffering and doing hard things if you yourself aren't willing to require that of yourself. So, yep. you know, this is really important. This is important for you as a dad if you want to be able to show up as a kind of dad that can help her be a princess warrior. That's right. And, of course, the way everything about her indicates that she uh, has the temperament to be one. So we don't, we don't want to do anything to not foster that. Yeah. Well, I'm exhausted. That took all of the emotion out of me. I wasn't expecting that, but congratulations. You did it. <laughs> well done, good and faithful associate pastor. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, this has been really fun. About this time, you're hearing music, and it is from Blue Dot Sessions. Uh, this is duty-free music that we love. <laughs> it's royalty-free music. Oh, okay. Well, it's royalty-free. We right, didn't me... import it from Europe. <laughs> well, I just thought everything was going to have tariffs on it now. <laughs> <laughs> it's royalty-free music that we love. And if you want to use it, too, you can go to sessions.blue to find it. That's right. We are North Star Community. You can find us on the web at www.northstarcommunity.com. Dot com. We currently have a campaign to get local businesses invested in battling substance use disorder. And if you want to know more about partnering with us on that, then send us an email, info at northstarcommunity.com. We appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>